There were several groups of people that gave Jesus a difficult time. I was beginning to think we're only going to look at one of them, but I've updated that. We're actually going to look at all three groups that gave Jesus such a difficult time in the Gospels because here we're, we can learn some things about how those groups came about. And by understanding those groups, we can understand some of the things that they did. It seems to be, as, as we start this, that Ezra, of course, brought the priesthood, or the, he was a scribe, he brought the, the scribe into some things that were different from those who were his predecessors. But the priesthood seemed to have been on par with the Word of God, with what God expected. But as time went on, it got off. We want to take a look at some of those things, how that happened. Last week, we were looking at how you treat people really matters. That we saw where the returnees had come to the place to build. And as they received the instruction from the prophet, resumed the building of the temple, which got the attention of some of the leaders. And they came on over to question them. And so they were very respectful of them. And it seems that because they were respectful and upfront, that the people who challenged them treated them better because they were treated well by the those who returned. And it's important that we treat people good. If we don't, we can close some of the doors that God would have preferred would have stayed open. And we looked at how the hand of God was on them and what God was able to do, or actually the eye of God. But here in Ezra chapter 7, let's begin to read this, verse 1. Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, this is the Artaxerxes, is most likely the Artaxerxes Longamanus, and that's who he was to the Romans. That name means of the long hand. The Greeks, to, or to the Greeks, he was called Artaxerxes, Macurcher, and after these things seems to be of about 60 years. So from the time we left off the last chapter in chapter 6 until the beginning of chapter 7, about 60 years goes by and the book of Esther begins and ends and all those things that had gone on with the attack on the Jewish people had uh, occurred in that time frame that was under Xerxes who was the king before Artaxerxes. So we have 60 years that have gone by. And Ezra says that after these things, now Ezra is on his way, so he writes all those things in the previous chapter. They occurred before Ezra ever came to the place. So he either interviewed people or things were written down, whatever it was, he took them from there. And of course, he had the copy of the letter that was sent, and he included that in the account that he wrote down. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amari, the son of Azariah, and the son of Merioth, and the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Now, not all generations are mentioned, but he is showing here that he can trace his roots all the way back to Aaron. But a few names here stick out, and we want to make mention of some of those. He is a descendant of both Aaron and Sariah. Sariah was the last high priest before the captivity. 
So the last high priest while the original temple was in place was Sariah and Ezra can say, I am a descendant of him. And then he goes all the way back to Aaron. Now, you remember among the priests that the reason that the priests, we have a priestly tribe is simply because the Levites were the only tribe who didn't follow after the worship of the golden calves. So they were the, as a tribe, they stayed away from following after the the golden calves and the uh, forbidden worship. So they were rewarded with the priesthood. It would seem that God did not intend to give it to one tribe, but since the disobedience came in, that's what he had done. Maybe it was his intention to give it to one tribe. Won't know. We just know what has occurred. But some of the other people of note here is Eleazar and Zadok. These are some people that are uh, important to note in his lineage, and he includes them here. Zadok was a priest under David, whom Solomon appointed chief priest in the place of Abiathar. Abiathar, of course, he was of the line of Ithamar, and he was also of Eli's house. And he came and supported Adonijah. And Adonijah was uh, one of those who, they, they sided with the wrong king. They knew David wanted Solomon to be king. They sided with the wrong one. And so when Solomon became king, he decided to uh, remove him. But of course, Eli's house had a, a pronouncement upon it because of the sins that his sons had gotten involved with. And now that line was going to be removed. Ithamar was no longer going to have the high priest line. And it goes back to Eleazar. And the first one of that was Zadok. Now, Zadok was a solid godly priest. And, of course, he was uh, around with during David's time. But he was made high priest under Solomon's time. The Zadokites, or those who came from Zadok, held the office of high priest until about 171 B.C. Now, all this history has some importance. We want to make sure that we, we know that. He... he uh, continued, his descendants continued up until 171 B.C. At that time, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, you know that he had gone into the temple, that he was a forerunner to Antichrist, and he, what he had done was he had, he had come into the temple after the treaty was made, and he slaughtered the priest on the altar. To desecrate the altar, he then also slaughtered some of the pigs so that they could, uh, they would also uh, desecrate the the pig blood would desecrate the temple. Onias, who was the Onias the third, who was high priest at the time, he um, fled for his life so that he would not be killed in that group. But he was the last high priest of the Zadokites. Now, until then, the office had a long tenure. If you were put into high priest, you stayed there for a long time. But afterward, the high priests were appointed and and um, deposed at the will of the ruler. Whether that ruler was of the Seleucid Empire, whether he was of the Roman Empire, or whether that ruler was of the Herodian Empire, they were the ones who appointed the priest. So the Hasmoneans were were priests after this. These are the lines of the people who took over. The Hasmoneans were, of course, the the group that uh, the, the rebels came out of that eventually rebelled and ruled Israel for a, a little bit of time. But the Hesmonian priests, they were there. There's uh, some conflicting things. I read a lot of history on this. 
some of the history says that either the Hesmonians had a possible tie to the Zedekites or they thought they did. But others say uh, unequivocally, no, they were not part of the Zedekites. It seems like they were priests of the order of the Levites, or I'm sorry, not the Levites, of the tribe of Levi, but it does not seem that they uh, had a, a tie to, directly to Zadok. So they have their own line that were, start, <clears throat> that were starting there. During the Roman period, there were 28 high priests. 28 high priests. Herod appointed seven of them himself. So there were always several ex-high priests around because they didn't get very old. And they still retained their titles. Herod and his successors controlled the office. So uh, with under Rome, Herod is the one who would appoint the high priest. There were only a few families of nobility from which the high priest could be chosen because they chose noble families. And so these are the ones that we were they will take. And we'll get some more into, into some of that later. In the gospel accounts, there are two well-known high priests that are there, and that is Caiaphas and also Annas. We know that uh, they were related. Annas was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, and there was some corruption that caused Annas to get pulled from being a ruler. He ruled from about 6 to 15 A.D., and his son-in-law ruled from about 18 to 36 A.D., but there were times that uh, there seemed to be confusion as to who actually was the high priest. Annas seemed to uh, have that and during the time of Jesus even though Caiaphas was the high priest Annas has a awful lot of uh, pull in there now the last of the high priests of the Jewish state was a commoner and he was chosen by the zealots that took the temple they had taken the temple and they took basically a commoner and they put him in there as high priest which uh, not a real good place for a commoner to be you want to make sure that you're called by God that you're in a position to, to do that uh, because one of the things you had to do was go into the temple in the day of atonement and if you were not right, then uh, you didn't make it back out. Now, Ezekiel wrote some things regarding the Zadokites. That they were free from idolatry. Let me read this to you. Ezekiel 44, 15 through 16. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near my table to minister to me and they shall keep my charge. So this was uh, some high praise from Ezekiel. He's not talking about Zadok. He's talking about the people who descended down from Zadok and he said uh, that they are, they are good folks. They, they stay away from idolatry and this is all, these all this time all the way down to Ezekiel. Now all this is important to know to see that the uh, all the way down to Ezekiel's time, all through that apostasy time, the Zadokites remained clear of the idolatry that the other nation, the rest of the nation, had fallen into. Now, where there were there were group, there was a particular group that came from them, and they became enemies of Jesus. This particular group you all know of very well, but you may not know with some of their background, and you may understand some of the things that happened in the New Testament if we understand the background of what happens to the religious line from here on out. So this group, they were known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees seemed to have their roots in the Zadokites. The Sadducees are priests, but they seem to be descendants of, of them. 
it seems that they were named after Zadok in the uh, community that looked for the restoration of the Zadok priesthood. There was a particular uh, man by the name of Zadok who uh, was around the 2nd century B.C., I believe it was. <clears throat> and it may be that he was the one who uh, may have been the founder or somehow they, they named it after him. The Sadducees are sometimes historically called Zadokites or, and they, they spell this in a way to T-Z-E-D-U-K-I-M. Zadukim is the best I can do with that one. So this, even though Sadducees doesn't look too much like Zadokites to us, apparently it had some root in that to them. But the Sadducees confronted Jesus on occasion, trying to trip him up. And uh, later on in the book of Acts, they also were were against him. What we want to do here is to take a look at the different groups. There are three main groups that were religious leaders, and each one was different, had a different viewpoint, and they were somewhat in battle. If you can understand where each one comes from, we understand some of the things that will happen in the New Testament and with the battles with Jesus better. So who were the Sadducees? We want to take a look at, uh, at who they were. Now, the Sadducees, they worked hard to keep the peace by agreeing with the decisions of Rome. Israel at the time was under Roman control. So they worked hard to keep the peace. Their main thing is, we want to agree with whatever Rome says. So whatever Rome says, we all right, we'll agree with that, we'll bring that on in. And so this is what they were working to, because their main goal was to keep peace with Rome. It was not to promote the gospel, it was not to... Uh, promote the integrity of the word. Their main goal was to keep peace with Rome. They seemed more concerned with politics than religion. But because they were accommodating to Rome and they were of the wealthy class, they did not relate well to the common people. And so the common people did not hold them in very high opinion. Because this particular group who goes all the way back to Zadok, the, the Zadokites, this particular group was not held in high esteem. They left an opening for another group to come in. And this is where the Pharisees came from. The Pharisees come in because they were not of the wealthy class. They were more of the um, not common class because they were still priests and they were still of that descending. But the people related better to them. They weren't necessarily rich. They weren't necessarily powerful, so the commoners could relate better to them. The Sadducees held the majority of seats in the Sanhedrin as well as the uh, they also controlled the temple. This was the two main sources of power, and they looked to keep it. So they controlled the temple. The Pharisees did not control the temple. And they controlled the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees did not control the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees did. They had more seats. They had the majority of seats so if you want to put that in our terms, the Congress is controlled by the party that controls it, that has the most seats in there. So if you have more Democrats than the Democrats control that particular house, if you have more Republicans, that controls it. Well, just imagine if this was one of those houses, the Sanhedrin was a House of Representative or a, or a Senate, then it was probably related more to the Senate because there were 70 seats on the Sanhedrin. It didn't change. It stayed that way. And so they had the controlling number of seats. Now, not all priests were Sadducees, but many of them were. 
Sadducees preserved the authority of the written word of God, especially the books of Moses. They considered the books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy, to be the most important books in the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. They called it the Word of God. But we look at it as the Word. They saw Genesis to Deuteronomy as the most important books. The other books did not hold as much esteem to them as those particular books. So anything that they were going to learn, anything they were going to support, if it was not in the first five books, they didn't put as much weight on it. If you found something in the book of Kings, if you found something in the book of Solomon, if you... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, the book of uh, Samuel. If you found something in one of these other books and it was not in the first five, then they would not put as much weight on it because of that reason. Now, they could be commended for their sticking to the word, but they were not perfect in their doctrinal views. I'm going to give you a short list here. You can write down whatever you want to. I gave you a little bit of space as much as I could anyway. This is just kind of a short view of their mostly non-scriptural beliefs. I'm not trying to write all their beliefs down. And it's hard to do because with the groups of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, we have very little written about them. Outside of the Bible and outside of a few historical accounts, there's really not a whole lot of written about them. It didn't seem that the uh, Sadducees cared to write their things down, or if they did, they didn't survive. And the same thing seems to go with the Pharisees. So we don't have a whole lot on their, their beliefs. They didn't just write down, doctrinally, this is what we believe. We don't have that. But we can determine a few things. First of all, the one thing we know about them, the Sadducees were extremely self-sufficient to the point of denying, <clears throat> denying God's involvement in everyday life. What that means is they believed in unrestrained free will, meaning that God had no role in the personal lives of humans. Everyone was master of his or her own destiny. They believed in an unrestrained free will. Unrestrained free will. Now, have you ever heard that topic come up in doctrinal issues today? We just talked about a few of them a little while ago in the Arminian and Calvinistic viewpoints. It almost sounds like you're going back to this. They would seem to be more Arminian in, in, in this way. So they believed in an unrestrained free will that I do whatever I'm going to do and God does not stop me and God does not influence me and God does not influence this world. They denied any resurrection of the dead. Now that we know real well from Scripture. And especially Paul was one who uh, emphasized that. So due to this belief, the Sadducees strongly resisted the apostles' teaching that Jesus had risen from the dead because they don't believe that that's anything that's possible. They denied the afterlife, holding that the soul perished to death and therefore denying any penalty or reward after this earthly life. You would kind of wonder, why in the world would you have any kind of religious existence at all? But uh, somehow they, they did. They denied the existence of a spiritual world, angels, demons, and they rejected entirely the supernatural. You can see kind of why they had a little problem with, with Jesus. The Sadducees rejected the Pharisees' teaching that oral tradition was equal to Scripture and authority. The Pharisees had an opening they came in, one of the things they believed was these <clears throat> traditions passed down by the Jewish forefathers were on equal par, to the Pharisees, were on equal par with the written word of God. And the Sadducees rejected this outright. Whatever is written in the word of God, that rules, not what is passed down orally. And probably, this is my summation of some of the things I've read in history, it would seem that 
as the Pharisees grew to a place of of prominence with the people, that they may have even taken what little they saw in authority from the traditions that are passed down and lessened them simply because of the way the Pharisees were were going after it. Sometimes that tends to be the way to go. So they had a special emphasis on the first five books of Moses, the Torah. They believed the Bible, basically our Old Testament, was the only authority on matters of faith and life. But they were the Jewish aristocrats of their day. They were known as much for their wealth and their uh, power and corruption as they were for their religious devotion. So we see them and we see very devoted religious people. But they're actually more devoted to wealth, power, and the corruption that was necessary to maintain it. Because the only way that they could maintain the power that they wanted was through corruption. In the book of Acts, you'll see that the Sadducees are frequently associated with anything that has to do with someone being arrested. Because they had that power. They, they were the ones who had the Roman guard, not the Pharisees. The Sadducees had the authority on that because they were the, the, the ruling power, basically. And they were the ones who were trying to get in with Rome. And they were the ones that were on good terms with Rome. So they were the ones who had the Roman guard. They were the ones who had control of them. So if you see someone being dispatched for an arrest, the Sadducees are behind it. The Pharisees may agree. The Pharisees may be on the same page. The Pharisees may even ask for it. But it is the Sadducees, it seems, that have to actually go out there and to do that. Now, because they were basically a political party more than a religious group, they were unconcerned with Jesus. They did not care that Jesus was on the scene in the beginning. He's teaching some new religious doctrine. This is not our goal. Our goal is to maintain the temple and the things that went on in the temple, to maintain the power in the Sanhedrin so that we can stay in a place of power. Whatever he wants to teach, that's fine. Let him teach it. Or, you know, come here today and go on tomorrow. They didn't care too much about that. The Pharisees were the ones who were more concerned about that because they were more tied in with the people and they didn't like to see the people going in a way that they felt was wrong. However, it did change when they felt that the things Jesus was doing was going to get the attention of Rome and may cause them to fall out of favor. All right, now you got our attention. Now you're talking in a realm that we have a concern with. We don't want Jesus to mess with this. So now we're going to get involved and we are going to oppose Jesus because Jesus seems like he could mess with Rome being the authority, Rome being in power. So this is where the Sadducees joined the Pharisees. The Pharisees were already in opposition to Jesus. The Sadducees come, a, come along after that because Jesus began to do some things that they felt threatened by. But not in the beginning. In the beginning it was the Pharisees and uh, the scribes. There are a number of mentions of uh, the Sadducees in the book of Acts. They are implicated in the death of James, the brother of John, in Acts 12. And the historian Joseph also connects the Sadducees to the death of James, the half-brother of Jesus. It would make sense since that was uh, the realm that they had. According to most historical records, including those of Josephus, the Sadducees were rude, arrogant, power-hungry, and quick to dispute with those who disagreed with them. K. 
keep that in mind when you read some of the things that Paul talks about as far as disputes. He was around the Sadducees and they were quick to dispute with those who disagreed with them, but they were rude, they were arrogant, and they were out after power, not after the good of people. This is some of the people, the Sadducees, that Paul was was working around and when he was raised as a Pharisee, opposed. As a Pharisee, he would have opposed the Sadducees because that's how he was raised. He was raised as a Pharisee. Now, interesting, the Sadducees, we don't really have a beginning for this group. They seem to have existed for a long period of time. But they ceased to exist as a group in 70 A.D. This is when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed by the Romans. The reason they ceased to exist as a group is because there were two places they got their power from. The temple and government. The Sanhedrin was no more. And the temple was no more. So they had no place to preserve their power. No one liked them. So they were gone. And after the 70 AD, you never hear of them again. Now, just to make sure I hit, hit all these, why did the Sadducees hate Jesus so much? First off, Jesus threatened their, their uh, false belief system. If what Jesus taught was right, then what they were teaching to people was wrong. Again, Jesus threatened their nice little relationship with Rome. But the most likely reason that the that they began to dislike Jesus and attacked him is because Jesus attacked them first. Do you remember, in the first year of Jesus' ministry, one of the things that he did was cleanse the temple. He went in on their turf, on their area. This is the place that the the Sadducees controlled. He overturned. He messed with their area of making money. He came in and he made war with them. When Jesus came in, he knew who he was making war with. And up to that point, they were not messing with him. But he knew when he came in, this is going to start something with the Sadducees. And sure enough, it did. Now, there was a counter group to them, and this is the Pharisees. They did not emerge as a distinct group until around the Maccabean Revolt, which is around 165 to 160 B.C., that is quite a few years after the Sadducees. So the Sadducees were around. There was a hole in some of their arguments. The Pharisees saw the, they weren't really tending to the people. So they, they uh, basically exploited that. They were believed spiritual descendants of the Hasidians. But uh, the Pharisees emerged as a party of laymen and scribes. The scribes are very much tied to the Pharisees. They were a distinct group, but they were very much tied to the Pharisees. You'll see that in a lot of scriptures. I'll read a few of them to you, but you can go back through and see that a lot of times it's Pharisees and scribes. Pharisees and scribes. They seem to be uh, with each other a lot. The um, basic difference that led to the split between the Pharisees and the Sadducees lay in their respective attitudes towards the Torah. That... They, uh, the Sadducees believed it is just what is written and the Pharisees says no, what is passed on orally is just as important. And we need to see, we need to know these things, we need to teach these things. The unfortunate part about that is the Pharisees took the oral traditions of the fathers and the written 
And if they could not take what was passed down orally and jive it with what was written in the, in the Torah, then they came up with rules, they came up with things to add to make it fit. <laughs> they also did this. If there was something going on in society, if society's rules were changing, if people, the way people looked at sin changed, if the way people looked at the law, the feast, whatever it might be, if things changed, they felt perfectly fine in taking something that was passed down orally, altering it, changing it, doing whatever they needed to bring in a new law. The new laws that came in were of the Pharisees. As far as I can tell, they were not of the Sadducees. Because the Sadducees would take what is written and that's it. But when you have all those extra laws that were written, these were pharmaceutical laws. These were the ones that the Pharisees wrote and brought in. Sadducees didn't necessarily agree with them or like them. But the Pharisees were more popular with the people. The Sadducees were not popular with the people. So they would come into a, a meeting and the Sadducees don't want to go this way because of their power, not necessarily their scriptural viewpoint, but they don't want to go this way because of the power issues or whatever. But the Pharisees have too much of the people behind them. And so there are times that the Sadducees had to, though they had the majority, they had to conform to what the Pharisees wanted to do because of the people. Even in this country, we know what gives the power. It's the people. It's the people. Not the piece of paper. Not the legislation. It's the people that will they give the power. And that still happened way back then. So there are times that the Pharisees had too much of the people behind them. And so the Sadducees had to go along with it. The Sadducees taught that the Torah, the books of Moses, were the only source of revelation. The Pharisees looked at a principle of the evolution in the law. That the law could be changed, the law could be altered. We can take some of the things from the traditions and make the law fit into society better. Can you see that still in this day we have some of that same thinking? How can we take what is in the Word of God and make it fit our society, the things that we do better? The Pharisees harmonized their teachings of the Torah with their own ideas or found their own ideas suggested or implied in it. It's amazing how if you go in looking in Scripture and say, I believe this, that you can see it in Scripture. Especially if you don't teach all of it. If you just kind of pick and choose which part you want to do. You can just interpret the law where the Spirit of God has shown me this or the so-and-so leader has passed this part down and and uh, I don't even know if they didn't make up some of those things that they, uh, that they passed down, that they said was in there. Now, the Pharisees were not a political party like the Sadducees were. They were basically a society of scholars and priests. They enjoyed a very popular following from the people. And when you look at the crucifixion, guess who's in the crowd stirring them up? It is not the Sadducees. They couldn't stir anybody up because nobody liked them. It would be the Pharisees. They did try to um, get the Jewish religion to be more of a democratic and remove it from the control of the temple priest, remove it from the Sanhedrin. 
they were trying to do that because they knew that in this realm we would be able to be uh, more popular. So, basically, I put it to you this way. If the Sanhedrin is more like a Senate, what the Pharisees are trying to do is to develop a house so that they can control things in the house because the house is, is, they, is uh, developed more on the people. Depending upon how many people you have in the state, depends upon how many seats you have on the house. So it's more orchestrated that way. It's more meant to go that way. The Pharisees, though, this may be new to you. You may not understand this about them. The Pharisees asserted one of the things that they taught was that God could and should be worshipped even away from the temple and outside Jerusalem. It is thought that the seeds for the thought of the Pharisees was sown back in Babylon during the captivity. Because during the captivity, they could not worship God in the temple. And so the seeds of this came up. Well, you can worship God away from the temple in other parts of the of the world. And one of the things that the Pharisees came up with, this is not something that is in the Bible. This is not something that was of the Sadducees. This is something that was of the Pharisees. You all are very familiar with this. That is the synagogue. The synagogues were started by the Pharisees. Because in the synagogue, we can worship God away from the temple. We can learn about God away from the temple. We can worship God in foreign countries because foreign countries had synagogues. The Pharisees would do this. They established these things as a way to get people away from the temple and learning. And also, they can control the synagogues because they cannot control the temple. So if you're looking at leaders of the synagogue, guess what party they would answer to or they are of? It would be the Pharisees. What did... I don't know if the Pharisees were necessarily planning this, but when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and the people were dispersed, the thing that kept the Jewish religion going was this move by the Pharisees because the Sadducees are done. They have no way of establishing the power anymore and they have no way of establishing their teaching and their teachings died off. But the Pharisees continued on because they had all these synagogues and these things were still set up and the synagogues were not destroyed like the temple was. The temple was the object to be destroyed. The synagogues were still around. And they still continued to go there. And for a while, Christians and Jewish people worshipped in the same spot. They were allowed to use the synagogues. That did not last for very long. And the Pharisees controlled these. And they probably took that, were probably one of the main ones that took that out. But let's take a look at some of the uh, beliefs. We don't know a whole lot because, again, there's no real strong writings on this. But they promoted the belief of an afterlife and a resurrection. They promoted this belief. Well, people probably liked that better than the Sadducees. They promoted the oral Jewish traditions and teachings on equal footing with the written law. And they promoted worship and the study of God outside the temple and outside of Jerusalem. They viewed the law of God as able to change and adapt to current time or current events. And they believed in a spiritual world of angels and demons. Now, can you imagine the conflict 
on seeing Jesus cast out demon spirits that would have occurred between these two groups. Boy, that uh, just kind of brings... This is, this is one of their, their sticking points. Jesus goes out and casts out demon spirits, especially when you get to the one with the pigs and you had that many in there. You, you can't... I mean, one or two, maybe they could just say, well, there wasn't really anything there. It was just all show. <clears throat> when you had all these demon spirits go out and the pigs go over the edge of the cliff, that people had reason to call in to the Sadducees as, I don't think your doctrine is so right. So a lot of this stuff is going on, which does not necessarily present itself in the things of Scripture that we read, but it was there. <clears throat> Again, the Pharisees are more for the common man. Their rivals died out after the temple was destroyed. So they didn't have people over there and uh, uh, opposing them. They stood contrary to the church and they con continued their influence in the synagogues extending well into the second and third centuries. So though the the um, Sadducees died off, the Pharisees and their teachings did not. Now I had put this question out there. Would the gospel have spread better if this group, group died out with the temple's destruction too? If the Pharisees had ended when the temple ended like the Sadducees did, there would not have been the opposition to the word of God. Paul would not have had the opposition in the synagogues. He would not have all the people who rose up, the Judaizers, guess what group they're with. They're not with the Sadducees. They're with the Pharisees. They may not be Pharisees, but they are at least under their teaching. Now there are some other groups here too. Here is one. This is the Essenes. They're not mentioned in the New Testament. We, th we look at the New Testament and you think, oh, there's two groups of thought. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they both ganged up on Jesus. But there's also the Essenes. The Essenes are not mentioned in the New Testament. They're not even much in rabbinical literature. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, this is a third philosophical school of thought in Jesus' day. They are numbered in the thousands, but less than the other two. Not as many Essenes as there are Pharisees are people who call themselves of the Pharisees and people who call themselves of the Sadducees. They congregated in communal life and they did not seek wealth. They practiced daily bathing and asceticism. It appears that some of their priestly class practiced celibacy. One possible explanation of why the Essenes are not mentioned in the scriptures or rabbinical literature or even Jewish literature is that they were separatists. They were the separatists of their day. They did not participate in the politics of the temple. They didn't get involved in anything with the temple. It also means they would not have had many dealings with the Romans, unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, part of this was due to the Maccabean Revolt. When the Maccabean Revolt took place, they took one of their relatives, put him in the high priest's office, this violated the Levitical law, which specifically states that the high priests were to be taken from the line of Aaron only. And so they violated that. And at one point, the usurper high priest held the office of the ruler of Judah. He had both. He was king and priest. And that also was forbidden. So they didn't like that. And so the Essenes basically said, we don't like what's going on in the government. 
We don't like how they are ruling things and what they're doing with Scripture, so we are just going to stay among ourselves. And so they secluded themselves and they stayed away. They didn't go to the temple. They didn't bring sacrifices to the temple. They didn't go to to Jerusalem for the feast because they saw everything that was being done as corrupted. And we will have no part of it. It wasn't that they were against God. They were against the corruption. Now, there's a particular community that came out of the Essenes that you are somewhat familiar with, even though you may not know it. I believe I get the pronunciation right. The Qumran is a community that is of the Essenes. And they were very secluded. But when they uncovered their their little community they had, they found some uh, scrolls. These scrolls have a name. And these are the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls come out of a group in an area that are of the Essenes. So they are not of the Pharisaical. They are not of the uh, Sadducees. They're not of that thought. They are of a different thought altogether. You've heard me talk about the, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls. That in your Bibles, anytime that you see N-U, and then it tells you, it gives you a different word, or says the NU text leaves these out and so forth. And sometimes you'll see an M. M is for majority text. The King James, the New King James are based on the majority text. The NIV is based on the Nestle's text or NU. The Nestle's text comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls. As much as they can pull from the Dead Sea Scrolls, they pull that in the Nestle's text. The reason I've never gone for it is because the Dead Sea Scrolls are of this one thinking, the Essenes, and the Essenes, their doctrine is not all right. And so it seems that they actually changed some things, and we're going to give you some uh, idea who the Essenes are. Jesus was dealing with the Essenes even though they don't come up in Scripture. There was still some of that thinking. In fact, it is even thought that many of his disciples were of the Essenes. Because they had more leeway for that particular belief system to follow after. There's even a lot more similarities between a very famous Christian in Jesus' day and the Essenes more so than any other group. That would be John the Baptist. John the Baptist practiced seclusion. John the Baptist practiced baptism. Guess what group practice baptism of the three I've talked to you about. It is the Essenes. They practiced baptism before the days of John the Baptist. He seemed to have a lot in common with them. It may be that he was an Essene and um, came over to to the things of Jesus. Don't know that for sure, but it, he, he has nothing in common. And you can tell there's almost an animosity between him and and the Sadducees, he calls them the brood of vipers. <laughs> there's an animosity between him and the Pharisees. If he is of the Essenes, if he was raised in any way by some of their thought, you could understand why that animosity could be there. It could just come from him being an Essene. It could also come from the fact that he saw them as just wrong. But uh, again, we're we're a little sparse on some of the some of the material. But the Religious practices of the Qumran 
or the Essenes actually is uh, more in common. They had more in common with the Sadducees than the Pharisees. If you were going to take a look at their breakdown of their, the things they believed, they had more in common with them. <clears throat> now, unlike the portrayal of the Sadducees by Josephus, the Quimram uh, community accepted the whole Jewish canon of Scripture with the possible exception of Esther. They weren't quite sure about Esther. But they accepted the rest of it. The, Sad- the Sadducees more so the first five books. And then the Pharisees, they of course expanded into more of the, the rest of it. But outside of that, they uh, they seem to have a lot in, in common with the Sadducees as far as their beliefs was concerned. Now here's where you can start seeing these guys get off a little bit. The Quimranians, who were of the Essenes, believed that they alone had been given the purpose of walking by the law and not deviating to the right nor to the left. What happens when you get a, a, a mentality of thinking, we're the only ones. They became a sectarian group which broke away from the historical community. The Jews of Jerusalem and they call, calling and believing themselves to be the only elect. They were it. They had no concept of the historical context of the word they were interpreting. So what would happen is they would look at the word of God and they would interpret it, but they had no care or concern what the context of that writing was. Can you think of anybody today who does that? Are there groups who just take verses out of context and just get any interpretation they want? And if you try to bring them back in, well, wait a minute, this is what it's... You don't want to hear that. The book of Habakkuk is a good example. I'm just reading this uh, directly here, of how they took a historical book and interpreted it to fit their own situation. In their commentaries, they understood the teacher of righteousness to be synonymous with the righteousness spoken of by Habakkuk and the wicked nation oppressing them to be the wicked priest. And they put a whole lot of things on this teacher of righteousness. They saw this teacher of righteousness who would interpret the words of God for them putting all things in order. So everything, they were secluded from everybody else and they would take one person and put them up as a teacher of righteousness and whatever they said, this is what we're going with. According to them, everything in the scriptures pointed to the end time. Everything. They interpreted everything that was written in scriptures as pointing to the end time. What was happening to them now in the end of redemption Whatever it was, everything pointed to the end time. In the writings, they spoke of themselves as the elect of the order of Israel and the only part of Israel's active in God's plan of redemption. Boy, once you start getting that isolated and we are the only ones that are right, we are the only ones. One person was the inspired interpreter of the word. According to the Dead Sea Scrolls, God spoke his word through the prophets, but it was their teacher of righteousness who received the understanding of his mysteries. See, some of this stuff is why I, I, I take things from the Nestle's text and I throw them right out. I don't, I don't care that they are older. They were too much with a group who isolated themselves and would alter scripture. And when there's differences from the Dead Sea Scrolls to what's in the majority text, I'm throwing out the Dead Sea Scrolls. I do it every single time. I have never had a whole lot of a authority myself on that. Here's an example. Isaiah 24, verse 7. 
fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. They somehow interpret, I'm just reading this directly here. They somehow interpreted this scripture to deal with matters of fornication, getting wealth for oneself, and the profaning of the temple. Let me read this to you again. Isaiah 24:17. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. They got so isolated and so convinced that they, we have the teacher of righteousness and whatever we say goes, they interpreted that scripture to deal with matters of fornication, getting wealth for oneself, and the profaning of the temple. That's just one scripture. Here's their basic beliefs. They ascribe every happening to God, just like the Sadducees. Whatever happens, they believe in the immortality of the soul, like the Pharisees. They followed an ascetic lifestyle, avoided pleasure, and gave themselves to prayer. They avoided violence and had all things in common. Some of the Essenes even avoided marriage, whereas another group sees marriage and procreation too central to human life to avoid it. Again, they do not sacrifice in the temple, but through study, keeping their minds pure and holy. Now, they worked to keep themselves ceremonially pure. They did all the things that were necessary to keep themselves ceremonially poor because they believed that the day was coming when they would be established as the priest of the temple and they would have to take over. That the people that were in there now were going to be removed and they would be put in place. So they needed to be ready for it because we're not having anything to do with that temple right now. But one day we will. There were some shared beliefs between the Essenes and the early Christians. The Essenes and the early Christian community stood in opposition to the ruling religious parties. They both, they both did not like the ruling religious parties. They both called them out as corrupt. So you could see just on that, they could, uh, Jesus called them out as corrupt. Oh, this is good. We like this. And so you could see why they would come along with Jesus. Even though the Essenes were not mentioned in the gospel, it also signifies that they were not a part of the betrayal, the trial, and the crucifixion of Jesus. They had no part in it. They did not get involved. They did not uh, participate. They were not likely even there. So there is a silence of Scripture on them being present, and more than likely it is because they were not around. It is possible that even some of the Essenes were among Jesus' twelve disciples. Both the Essenes, Jesus, and the early Christians taught that the ancestry from Abraham was not evidence of justification. This is one of the things that the Essenes would teach. Just because you are born of Abraham does not mean you are justified or that you are a member of God's covenant community. Isn't that what Jesus taught them? It's exactly what Jesus taught them when they hear Jesus teaching that, oh, we can get in line with this. The Sadducees don't teach that. The Pharisees don't teach that. If Jesus is teaching that, he's reaffirming the things that we are already, already saying. The New Testament uses similar ideas and words that are found in the Essene teachings in literature. In particular, in John's writings, you're going to see this, the contending of darkness and light, the spirits of truth and error that John would use. These are directly from Essene teaching. I'm not saying that John took them from them. I'm saying that the Essenes would teach this, darkness and light the spirits of truth and error, and the sons of darkness and the sons of light. These are terms that the Essenes would use. 
And so when these are, these are written by Christians, when they are spoken by Christians, they can relate to it. The Essenes as a Jewish religious sect disappeared from history around 70 AD about the destruction of Jerusalem. Could be they just lost their ability to have their secluded communities, which is how they survived, how they continued on. They had their, their secluded communities. They couldn't do that anymore after 70 AD. And they may continue, have continued on, but just continued on more in the Christian circles than um, having their secluded groups anymore. So more than likely, they just kind of merged in with the troops, uh, with the church. Then there were the scribes. So we had the Sadducees, we had the Pharisees, we had the Essenes, and we had the scribes. The scribes are mentioned in Scripture. New Testament, in the New Testament period, the scribes were learned teachers and authoritative leaders who would draw from the priests and the Levites as well as some of the common people. Mark, I wrote down some things that people wrote about them. Mark portrays them as a high officials, advisors to the chief priests and teachers of the law. As such, they were part of many types of officials opposed to Jesus. Matthew presents them as the learned of Judaism, leaders of the community. And Luke portrays them as an appendage of the Pharisees, learned men who were protecting Judaism and leaders who were associated with the chief priests. Now hearing that, I went back through and I just pulled out some of the scriptures. You can go and you can just look up the word scribes and go through the New Testament and see all the places where they're mentioned. I'm just pulling out a couple of them here for you. Mark 1.22, they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the scribes were teachers, but they apparently did not teach with any authority like Jesus did. Mark 2.16, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? So here, one of many times we had the scribes and the Pharisees in the same group. There's no Sadducees in that group. They were not group pulling the Sadducees in this. The scribes and the Pharisees were associated together. They got along better than the Sadducees with them. Luke 6, 7. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. Again, they're, they're teamed up there. Luke eleven forty four. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. So when Jesus says woe, he puts the scribes and the Pharisees here in the same group. Mark eight thirty one. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. Puts the scribes in with that group of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Matthew twelve thirty eight. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Again, the scribes and the Pharisees are together. They're asking to see a sign. And this is just a few of the verses of Scripture that you can see on the scribes. This group dates back all the way to the book of Kings. I didn't find it in Samuel, but I found it in the book of Kings. You will find the term scribe goes all the way back to that. So that's older than the other groups. It's older than the Sadducees, who may go back as far as uh, the Zadokites. That is older than the Pharisees, who are even uh, newer. But Ezra seems, he, Ezra is a scribe. He calls himself a scribe. Ezra seems to have added a duty or calling or teaching, uh, or the calling of teaching, and it seems to have stuck. As far as we can tell, Ezra is the first scribe who came along and began to teach the people. 
cannot say with authority that the scribes in the past had not done it. But none of the ones that we have recorded, none of the times that they come up in the book of Kings, the book of Chronicles, we don't see scribe associated with teaching until Ezra comes along. And Ezra, as we've told you before, Ezra is so highly regarded by the Jewish people. They look on him back in history as second to Moses. As far as purity, as far as influence, as far as uh, what he did for the nation. <clears throat> Moses is the number one guy, but Ezra is right there. And so it seems to me he came in and began to teach them, because we have that here in Ezra. He begins to uh, talk to them about that, and he began to come in and to teach them on the principles. So he seems to have brought that part of it in. Now, there were all these groups in Jesus' day. Jesus had direct conflict with three of them. He had direct conflict with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the, and the scribes. The Sadducees would be like rich political families. If you want to bring this into a place of today, get out of your head, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Conservative, Liberal, all that sort of stuff. I want you to get that out of your head because our political viewpoints and the way they pair up with the different parties is not going to be exactly the same here. I gave you some of the idea of where, their, uh, where the beliefs were, where their teachings were, as much as we could tell. But I want to give you an idea. When you read in Scripture and you see uh, Sadducees, when you see Pharisee, when you see Scribe, I want you to get an idea of where they are in our place. So the Sadducees would be like rich political families. I wrote down these. You could certainly add more. The Clintons, the Bushes, the Bidens. These are rich political families who make their living in the power that they get. They make their living in the power they have politically. And uh, those those three families are some. There's other ones too. You could probably put the, put the Kennedys in there. Um, you go back through history of people who know our presidents better than me. You could probably put some other ones. But they use their power to stay wealthy and remain in control of their power structure. That's who the Sadducees are. Very little concern for the integrity of God's, uh, of God's will being done, very concerned that they stay in power. Second group, the Pharisees. All right, now this one's going to polarize some people, but the Pharisees will be like a Trump, opting for the popularity of the people and shunning the established political system. I'm not saying the beliefs are the same line. I'm saying simply, Trump comes along, and he opted, he was popular with the people, but he had absolutely no political background at all. He had no, no family in politics. He just kind of came along the scene and the people liked him and put him into the place of power. That would be the Pharisees. They're popular with the people. The people like them. The people related to them better, more so than the Pharisees. The scribes are those who look to interpret the letter of the law to sustain what they desire or plan to bring about. If needed, we change the law or alter its understanding. Can you think of people in our day that are like this? I don't think they're so well known as the uh, ones from the other two groups. But there are people in Washington. There are people in the uh, places of leadership in our country. And they just want to stay in power. And they will rewrite the law in order to be able to do it. And that's what the scribes would do. This is the kind of thing they would do. If they decided, well, we want to see things go along this way. Well, they... Let's work on getting the law changed. Let's work on getting the people to understand this. Because we write it down. We're the ones writing it down. And they had influence that way. The Essenes might be those in our nation 
who want to isolate from the evil in government and stay to themselves until things get right again. <laughs> that would be the Essenes. They're just going to, you know, hide out there. Let's get off the grid. Let's get our own food supplies. Let's, uh, you know, get away from all this stuff and, and, uh, uh, get away from the news reports and get away from all these all these things. That would be the Essenes. We want to isolate ourselves. So you, even in today's society, certainly there are differences, but you can see where there are some of these same groups going on here now. But we see that these groups did not keep their beliefs. They did not keep the uh, beliefs that are in the Word of God. They did not stay true to them. So I ask this question. What do we need to do to avoid the pitfalls that plagued the Sadducees, that plagued the Pharisees, that plagued the Essenes, that plagued the scribes? What kind of things do we need to do to make sure that we don't fall into those same pitfalls? Well, first thing, keep fellowshipping with other believers. You may find that some other believers drive you crazy. You may find that, oh man, they're, they're doing things, they shouldn't be doing this sort of stuff, I just want to get away from them. Don't become like the Essenes and isolate yourself. We're the only ones that are right. Don't do that. Watch getting separate over matters of less importance. There are some matters that uh, are scriptural, but they're not necessarily of, of great importance. We certainly have some of those uh, in our teaching today. Every once in a while I get off on, on one of these things and we look at it. I try not to uh, to stay with it too much. You know, people that uh, believe differently on, on deliverance. I'm not going to cut off fellowship from them. But we have a difference in there. We've uh, some of the things we got into recently. The uh, the uh, discussion we have on the blood. You know, people want to go out there and they draw the bloodlines, and people want to plead the blood. And I don't go with any of that at all. Um, and I've taught you why that is. But I don't isolate myself. I don't keep myself from people, though they may may believe this. That's all fine if they want to do it, and they want to go that way. I know many people, and they have a good Christian life going on. But they still believe this. I was listening to one of Brother Jesse's sermons uh, this week. And do you know he talked about when the hurricane, hurricane Katrina came on by that he drew a bloodline. <laughs> I, I don't know why he drew a bloodline. Just stand up and take the name and authority of Jesus. But I don't separate from Brother Jesse over something like that. If Brother Jesse wants to do that's that's fine with him. I've heard other people from Rama and they come out with things much stronger. I told you about the one. He came on out there and he started putting the blood in the place with the armor of God. Uh, Paul did not put the blood in the armor of God. I don't like to see people take those kind of liberties with it, but uh, Brother Jesse, I'm not separating from him. I enjoy Brother Jesse and the things that he teaches. We may not agree on all, all matters, but make sure that you don't get separate or matters of less importance. That's a matter of less importance. I'm not going to separate over that. There's still a lot of good things that we can glean from each other. That's something that the Essenes would do. That's something that uh, even the Sadducees would do. Well, we believe this about the about the uh, resurrection and lack of it. And so we are going to shun the Pharisees. And Don't look to make Scripture fit my life, but my life has to fit Scripture. Too many times people say, well, I, this is, I've always done this and it works. So therefore, Scripture has to fit this. I need to find a way to make Scripture fit what I do because what I do works, at least I think it works. And people will do this. People have done it. There's no support for it, but I think it works. And so uh, don't do that. Make sure that you get your life to fit. Because sometimes a thing has worked because we are ignorant. I don't know better. But once I come into the understanding and the knowledge that this is the way it goes and then I am disobedient to it, 
we may find out that that thing that worked before may not be working anymore. God can do some things in our ignorance because I just don't know. But once I come to the truth and I say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to disobey the truth. Don't do that. Don't make Scripture fit your life, but make your life fit Scripture. Refuse to give in to worldly pressure to compromise principles in the Word. We all know there's lots of pressure on us to compromise and to give in to principles that the world wants us to follow. Don't do that. That's something that the uh, Sadducees did. They wanted to have the power of the, of, uh, well, the power that would come from ruling. And so they made a lot of compromises. They gave into a lot of things in order to be able to do that. Grow in your fellowship with the Spirit of God to, uh, to the Spirit of God to in responsiveness to His pruning. Get your fellowship with the Spirit of God going. You make sure that you get that fellowship time in, that you fellowship with the Spirit of God, that you know how to have those conversations with, uh, with God. Brother Jesse calls it throne time. Getting before the throne of God. Just having that fellowship time. And make sure that you are responsive to His pruning. You're not responsible to be pruned until he says, see that over there? We need to cut that off. Oh, all right. Well, we'll just chat, to, just uh, take that away. Make sure you're responsive. When he comes to you and he says, you see that? That's the wrong attitude. Make sure you clip it. Cut that attitude out. Be responsive to what he's teaching you. Be responsive to his pruning. Keep reading and studying scripture. Don't just stay with those uh, areas that you want. Don't be exclusive on topics. Don't just stay to these particular topics over here. You'll notice here in, the, in this church, I don't just teach you on faith. I don't just teach you on giving. I don't just teach you on uh, spiritual warfare. We go over and we hit, we hit this topic for a while. Then we come over here and we hit this topic. But even when we're on a topic like we are on, on Sunday mornings, we may hit all kinds of areas to see how that topic is influenced in the area of faith. How that topic influences the area of giving. How that topic influences the area of spiritual warfare, whatever it might be. But you can't just say, well, I'm just going to learn about spiritual warfare. I'm just going to learn about faith. I'm just going to learn about whatever it might be. Because uh, if you just get so exclusive on a topic, then you're going to miss the whole and you're going to be able to be off like a lot of these groups did. These are some of the things. So uh, there's a few things that you can go through that you can uh, help to, to not become one of these groups. Like the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're very different from each other. But we don't want to become like them and fall off in the direction that they did. We don't want to be like the Essenes who, though they were not involved in the uh, problems that came up with, with Jesus, they were not involved in the confrontation. They also had a lot of wrong ideas and so a lot of wrong things came from that. We're still seeing today that influence come up because the Nestle's text influences a lot of uh, translations that people read and people study from. And some of those thoughts that they had on Scripture that they altered Scripture for have worked their way in. And so they are still around, even though that particular group may not be. So, in here we're looking at uh, a lot of history. There's a whole lot more history than I read than in what I gave you just here tonight. But what's important for us is by understanding this, I understand the battle that Jesus faced with the Sadducees, the battle that Jesus faced with the Pharisees, the battle that Jesus faced with the Essenes, even though they may not be directly involved or why it was that some of those people came along with Jesus. What would happen with some of Jesus' disciples if they were of the Essene thinking? What did Jesus have to deal with with them on, on that? So uh, a lot of these things were going on. We look at our time today and we see the influence of certain schools of thought and how that affects things. 
Jesus was dealing with it today. This is nothing new, and we don't have to be afraid of it or shy away from it, but make sure that you uh, don't fall into the pitfalls of these groups and go in the wrong direction. Father, we thank you that we can learn from the things of history, that we can change the direction that we go, and we can be molded into the image of God. The people that are around us, they may not be perfect, but you can use them to help us come to that place of perfection, of walking with you and being like you. I thank you for the influence of the people that have been in our lives in the past and the way that they will help and influence us in the future. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.